In the Revelation 7, uh, we have this wonderful picture of God's people saved. We can see the end result of the great plan of salvation that God has prepared for us. And, uh, you know, I, I love the word of God. I really do. And uh, the book of Revelation is, is very special in, in many ways. And we can get lots of different information from there. But the encouraging part in the book is that we can see what's going to happen with God's people, with those, with all those who follow Jesus. In Revelation 7, it's like the announcement of God to his people. What is going to happen? when everything is finally finished here on earth, when the history of sin is finished. But you know we are still here, isn't it? In this world, sin and corruption is present all around us. And we are reminded over and over again that there are still people out there that God wants to bring to the fold that need to be saved. And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. In Ephesians 4.15, says that we supposed to preach the truth with love. And I'm looking at this text and I see two components here, the truth and the love. And I notice here that they are very closely related to each other. The truth that is revealed in Jesus Christ, who himself is, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that truth is and must be connected to God's character, to his loving character, to love of God. And that, that seemed to be the way. The truth and the love, they all meet in Christ Jesus. He says, on the other occasion, he said to, the, to his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that love must shine and flow to other people. That's what God wants from us. And so here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is speaking about unity in the body of Christ. He's starting with basic principles of conduct among believers. 
in oneness of the spirit. And then he moves to the gifts of God to minister in church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers. He says to equip the saints, to equip all believers for the work of ministry. So there is a purpose, the work of ministry from so from inside the church to outside the church for building up the body of Christ till we all attain to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. He says we need to be grounded in these basic Christian principles to guide us in everything we do and say. Speaking the truth in love. And all the doctrines that we have in our church, even those regarding the end time events, they are all rooted in the knowledge of the Son of God and his plan to save us. The prophetic insight is given to God's people that we would know God's plan for us. That we could see a little ahead of us and be hopefully encouraged by that. But that's what the Lord was saying from the beginning. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets, and the prophets to his people. That, that's how it works. Now, the prophetic insight is quite extraordinary, I would say. It's, it's really something and it's true that many people in the world, even non-Christians, find it fascinating. And you mentioned it this morning in the Sabbath school, that people may get excited or excited about the prophetic insight, but if they do not connect to Christ and his loving spirit, the excitement about the prophecy will eventually fade away and that prophetic knowledge will become eventually indifferent to them. And it may go either way. But I, I, sh I shared with you before, I believe, a few times that I was a colporter uh, for quite a few years back in Poland as a student. Uh, and then about a month and a half in Norway, I had this kind of experience. And as a colporter, I sold many copies of Great Controversy, uh, among many other books uh, we had. But the Great Controversy has become a bigger, bigger, biggest seller. Uh, I think we made it biggest seller. Uh, and... 
to my surprise, uh, as I've come across some people I have met that had that book, they bought the book before, years before we, we, we came again to, to sell them another book. And they had that book on, on their shelves. They read the book. They knew all the plot of the last day's events. They knew all the, um, the insight of the book, you know, the, the history of church uh, and everything that it contains. But they have never made connection to church. And we may ask, why? Very often people, you know, get excited and they do connect to church, they do connect to Christ, but it doesn't happen always. It's not always like that. And, you know, we, we used to work in pairs, so when we were invited inside, we always prayed together, we always tried to encourage people to, to connect them to God, to, to talk to them about what God can do for them in their lives, and uh, basically to encourage them to connect to God. This is the only way, and we always hope that they will <laughs> become a new believers in Christ Jesus and they would connect to church and you know I always hoped that it would happen I didn't see that during these years for for many people but uh, I hope that someday they will connect to Christ and to church but if not the knowledge of the last day's events won't save them. Salvation is in Christ Jesus only. So how do we approach people? This is the question that is, is bothering me. Every time I go to Poland, I just came back, you know, uh, a week, two weeks ago. Every time I go to visit my family, before I go, I have these questions in my mind. What can I, what can I share with them that they, it would enrich them spiritually? What can I do? What can I say? It's the question that we should be asking that maybe perhaps we, we are asking ourselves as we think about our friends, families, people around us, what to say to people? What can we share with them? In Revelation 14, 6, the first angel is flying in the midst of heaven. It means it goes throughout the whole earth having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, kindred, town, and people. It's clear from the message 
that the everlasting gospel is to be preached to everyone on this planet, without exception. This is the prime purpose, to connect people to Christ. This is the only way. Now, the following angel, the second angel, in verse 8, is saying that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, this is a little different. And if we connect it with Revelation 18.4, it will become clear to whom it is addressed. It says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. It's talking about Babylon in context, but addressing God's people. It says, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. And it makes sense, because this is the last warning message before the last seven plagues are received. I believe that this is why God called to existence Adventist movement. To have people in place for the, the very last days to witness to the whole Christian world. The message is addressed to God's people. People at Adventist church often ask, why do we connect with other churches? Well, because when the time is ripe, those people need to hear the message. And if they hear the message from friends, it will be more acceptable, more believable than to hear from a stranger. We have to realize that the second angel's message is directed to God's people. Primarily, people that are scattered in different churches. These are Christians with honest hearts who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So now all they need to do is to come out of doctrinal confusion and to accept biblical truth. And the reason, there is a reason to that. The reason to come out of Babylon is given by the voice in Revelation 18.4. Lest you share in her sins. Unless you receive of her plagues. So there are things that God calls sins. That are part of apostate church, apostate Christianity. So this is the critical moment in the history of church when it says about the Babylon that her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquity. And so the voice is saying it's time to come out of her. What are the sins of Babylon? I think the list could, could be quite long. 
but uh, I made few major points in that time of history. There are these urgent issues that are indicated in the prophetic insight. In the book of Isaiah 4, there is one very peculiar verse, verse 1. And uh, if you want to go there, just go there. Uh, I read that and I remembered that verse distinctly from the short time after my conversion. I went through the whole Bible. And this verse stuck in my mind very clearly for some reason. And it says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name. Do you know what came to my mind when I read this verse for the first time? I was just starting to learn the way of the Lord. I didn't understand the prophetic insight of that. But I, I thought that it was like, like paradise for men. Seven women would want to be with one man, you know. Lucky chap. But if you take this verse in a symbolic prophetic message, we'll see quite interesting content. Women represent church. Bread, we know, would represent the word of God. Yeah? And apparel, white garment, means righteousness of Christ. In opposition to the filthy garments of our own righteousness. So if you put all these together in a prophetic message, it would translate to something like that. In that day, seven churches will hold on to one man, saying, we will have our own spiritual food. We'll produce our own righteousness. Only let us be called by your name, by Christian name. I would say it sounds like very deceitful proposition. And it is. It's very relevant to the time we live in today. In Revelation 18.7, it says about Babylon that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. She says in her heart, I sit as queen and I'm not widow and will not see sorrow. So God is calling his people that are in many different churches to come out of her. To come out of the confusion, the combination of man-made doctrines and partial truth. And God calls them to accept the everlasting gospel, the only way to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, and to be clothed with his righteousness, and to accept the word of God, the biblical truth. And you know, I found it interesting that at the end of the parable from Luke 18 about unjust judge, 
I'm sure we are all familiar with the parable about unjust judge and the widow that was kept coming and plead her case. But there is a question that is stirring up the spirit of those who read it. It makes people stop and think what Jesus meant by asking this question. The question is, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Hmm. Well, how does it look like today? I think we have reports that the Christianity is in the decline in some countries, at least in some countries. But if you look at the population of the whole earth, there is still one-third of the population, one-third of the population, population are still Christians. I believe that the question is in reference to Isaiah 4 and verse 1. And the seven women. To have a Christian name doesn't necessarily mean to have true faith in Christ Jesus and his righteousness and his word. It's also not by accident that Jesus, after the parable of the unjust judge, that's uh, Luke 18, there is another parable right after. Uh, the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in that parable, is Jesus is giving idea of true faith in God and exposing the false one. we got two types of believers in God. One is happy with his own righteousness, his religious rights and everything he does. And the other has nothing to offer apart from the confession of his own unworthiness. And he humbles himself before God to be justified. Now, he, here we can fit the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find people who rely on God for the salvation? It's the same story with the word of God. In the time of Jesus, Pharisees were pushing man-made traditions and, and rules and putting them above God's commandments. And there is nothing new under the sun, is there? But this is the faith that God wants to see in his followers at the end of time that will humbly cling to the righteousness of Christ, not to rely on your own, you know, merits, whatever you think about, that will demonstrate the power of God working in their lives, transforming their characters and nature, this is the, the good guiding point for all those who are confused. 
within Christian churches. This is the guiding thought. The wisdom of God is from above is first of all pure and kind and gentle. Look at these things as people bring up some confusion. And so the people who would rely on God and his written word. This is the message that we need to preach to people in this world. That they may know the love of God and rely on him for the salvation and seek his power to transform their lives. You know, salvation by grace sometimes sounds a bit cliché in our churches. And we hear sometimes opposition to that. But let me tell you something. My dear father, who died five years ago, although he was converted, I believe, he was a true believer of God, but he still remained within the Roman Catholic Church. And to the end, he believed firmly that for all the wrongdoing, he's going to suffer in purgatory. How sad is that? How terrible is that for people who are on, on sick bed about to die? He believed that before he can reach heavenly bliss, he's going to have to suffer for what he's done. He never accepted the teaching of salvation by grace. He said it would be too easy. He died full of hopes and expectation of some kind of punishment with salvation at the end. But still, he was scared. You know, there are people out there who still believe that they have to earn their salvation. Did you know that? We are so lucky in this church to know the truth. In Revelation 7, from verse 9, the Apostle John describes those who are saved as a great multitude that no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a low voice, saying, Salvation belongs to to our God. It belongs to our God, not to us. It is God who makes it possible. Uh, and the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And everyone who were there before the throne of God in heaven said, Amen. And then, as an another emphasis and confirmation for 
those who lived in the last days of the Earth's history, John records conversation between one of the elders and himself, and they talk. And we have recorded that short conversation. It says, who are these arrived in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So we can see here in Revelation 7 that not everyone from the multitude, from the great multitude of people that were saved went through the last day tribulations. But those who died in Christ Jesus before those days, they were ready, they were sealed for the resurrection morning. And they were standing before the throne of God in heaven. And they all declared, they all declared the great multitude and the small group of those who went through the tribulation that the salvation belonged to our God and to the Lamb. In opposition to Babylon that glorified herself, that was speaking pompous words, exalting herself, God's people will be those who walk humbly before God because they know that the, all the merits that the salvation belong to God. And I believe that should be in our minds in these last days. To realize who we are and humbly walk before our God and be the light in this world. It's interesting what Jesus says. To be a light doesn't necessarily mean to speak about light. Doesn't necessarily mean to, to preach. Not always. To be the light means to be a Christian in every place where you are. In your work, school, in your free time. Be a Christian. And people will know it. But, and yes, apart from the gospel message that we preach to all, there are other things for those who are in Christian faith, and we really need to pray to God. How we can show our friends, our families, from different denominations, the benefits of truth. There are benefits. and danger of sticking to the wine of Babylon. Because at the end, the voice says, come out of her, lest you share in her sins. So there is a danger. But the love of Jesus must be seen in all that. We must be preaching the truth in love. And when there is no right words to speak, 
Our life should be the testimony to people around us. Our good works, love, compassion, show to others may be the strongest argument. And I know it's a challenge. It's a great challenge for me. Even though I, I sometimes, on occasion, I speak to people about spiritual things, and I share the things that I know from the Bible and the book of Revelation, but it's, it's a challenge. And it was a great challenge for the disciples of Jesus after his death and resurrection. If you recall it, they didn't know which way to turn. They had no idea what to do next. They were so confused. They were scared. But God made provision for them. He left them with the promise to pour out the Holy Spirit on them. To empower them to preach boldly the good news in Christ Jesus and to be led by the Holy Spirit in their mission. That was the way how church grew from the start, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The history of Christian church from the start proves that without power of God, without his guidance, without his provision, we can do nothing. Jesus said to his disciples, without me, you can do nothing. We need to cling to God. If your heart is burdened, with the gospel message to preach to your family, friends, colleagues. We have to turn to God first. There is no other way. And the timing has to be right. And the words has to be right in the right time. I want to make Take this moment now to have a special prayer with you so we would be empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit to know when and what to say and to do. Let's bow our heads, please, as we pray together. Our loving Father in heaven, we bow our heads before you today. We are asking for the wisdom from above in these last days to preach everlasting gospel to all around us. And wisdom, how to share the truth. May the Holy Spirit be our guide to give the right words in the right time to preach the gospel in words and in action. And Lord, not only that, but we ask for the Holy Spirit to be working on the hearts of all people, those outside the church and in Christian churches, to prepare them to receive the love of God and the word of truth. 
We pray, Lord, for people in the city, here in the city of Plymouth. Please use us, Lord, in your good work so that our loved ones, family and friends and colleagues and all people in this world can be saved to your kingdom through your grace and your power. In Jesus Christ we ask. Amen.